This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, taking a look at all the business and market news from around the world. And today it is Jeff Halley in Singapore. Good morning from London, Jeff. And good afternoon from Singapore. Let's start with the latest from where you are and not much movement in the Asian markets today. Yeah, it was a very nondescript session overnight too in New York. Oil hardly moved. Uh, forex markets were very quiet and, and as were stock markets. Asia has been much the same picture today. Uh, markets are clearly on hold waiting for this FOMC meeting outcome later on this evening or very early tomorrow morning Asia time, depending where you are in the world. Uh, where they're looking to see if the Federal Reserve, particularly their dot plots, their uh, expectations of future rate uh, moves, whether those are bought forward. I think the markets will probably be disappointed in, 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 that, uh, in, in that respect, uh, because I think that the Fed will maintain the very dovish stance and the concentration on unemployment that they have been reiterating over the last month. They may also signal that they're quite happy to tolerate uh, higher interest rates as inflation rises at the far end of the yield curve. So I think what the world will be looking at over the next few days is uh, the realisation that yield curves around the world will be getting steeper. So they'll be at zero uh, in, in the short term and then they'll get steeper out over the 5 to 10, 20, 30 years. What I've read in terms of what economists are expecting as far as the Fed announcement goes, they think a significant upgrade to the December prediction that the US would grow by 4.2% this year, core inflation at 1.8% and unemployment dropping to 5%. Would you concur with that? I think that's definitely a possibility. I, I, I think that the US can grow between 7 and 9% in this year, particularly with the Biden stimulus that's hitting people's pockets over the weekend. Plus, he is still talking about this $3 trillion infrastructure investment uh, plan as well later in the year. All of that will be fiscal stimulus and will uh, boost uh, the economy uh, and it will overshadow the noise they're also making about raising income taxes and corporate taxes as well. So that's definitely a case. The the Fed has also signalled that they want inflation to overshoot 2%. They're comfortable with that. Uh, In the past, they've been guilty of tightening far too quickly and uh, that hasn't helped. So it's, the, the, the unemployment, though, when you think about it, 10 million Americans uh, are still uh, without jobs free from pre-COVID levels. And that seems to be, uh, as one of the Federal Reserve's, one of its mandates, that seems to be what it is concentrating on. And they don't believe that the inflation that we're seeing is wage price inflation, like a wage price spiral. Uh, that's the ugly inflation that uh, central bankers and economists uh, don't like. The inflation we're seeing is a function of a recovering economy, uh, which I would consider to be, if you want to simplify it, good inflation. But the world is going to have to get used to not having 0% interest rates anymore, and uh, that will take some adjustment. We hope it's what you call good inflation, Jeff. And you're right. It is a reaction to what's happened over the last year or so. But you never know. Some things can actually spiral out of control. Yeah, look, I'm not going to disagree with that because one of the side effects of having 0% rates and just chasing any sort of yield uh, in in a 0% world is that perhaps some asset classes have become more inflated in prices than they should have. And I'm particularly thinking of high yield credit, so that's low credit rating credit, uh, junk bonds, 
these sorts of corners of the fixed interest market where more risky borrowers pay higher interest rates. They've paid much, much lower interest rates over the last year because you've got professional investors like pension funds uh, and uh, fund managers desperately searching for a yield above uh, 0%, and that's forced all that money into those areas. So they're definitely vulnerable to uh, some, some re retreat. Similarly, uh, you, the obvious candidates are the technology stocks, your NASDAQs, your CSI 300s in, in China, these tech-heavy uh, indices, they're also vulnerable to higher interest rates because why would you pay uh, a huge amount of money for a stock that yields 0.5% uh, or doesn't pay a yield at all when you can now put your money in a five-year bond or a 10-year bond and get 2%? It changes the economics of the uh, investment outlook. So I suspect there will be some readjustments within this plan as the market gets used to this new normal of inflation returning to what is really only pre-COVID-19 levels. Sort of related to this, and when you were talking about the tech stocks, I was thinking about Uber, Jeff. Uh, we had some news in the UK yesterday that it was going to give its 70,000 UK drivers a guaranteed minimum wage, holiday pay and pensions. Now, um, I'm a regular user of Uber and sometimes I cannot understand how inexpensive uh, 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 it can be. You know, I was paying these sorts of rates 20 years ago to a guy in a black cab. Uh, when you think about it, if they are going to have to change the way they uh, treat their employees, change the way they do business, and not just Uber, some of the other big new stocks over the last 10 years, that could also increase inflation, couldn't it? Because their margins aren't going to be quite as good. Yeah, I, I guess unless they choose to put prices up, and I think that might be one of the downstream effects. I think the fact that Uber has capitulated on this, on this front, they lost a court case in the UK uh, and have chosen not to appeal it and uh, agreed with all the rulings. That shows just how important a market strategically, particularly London, is for Uber uh, as, a, as an entity as a whole. But it does have profound uh, implications. I do feel that the gig economy started off with this wonderful idea of people being able to work when they wanted to. But it's actually morphed into uh, people being forced to work longer than they perhaps want to for less money. And it has a very much a look of these... Uh, dreaded zero-hour contracts that uh, have caused so much controversy over the years in the UK and in other countries. So I think this is a uh, long overdue dose of reality uh, for, for technology. And I think it also shows some of the uh, perhaps less than firm fundamentals for some of these business models, which effectively are built on the fact that they uh, are paying very low wages to people on demand without any benefits uh, or being employees. But I think it will have potentially quite profound effects for food delivery services, other ride sharing uh, parts of the sector as well. And maybe those prices aren't going to be quite as attractive as they once were. And as you say, as costs go up, prices go up. And that's another reason we might see an uptick in inflation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, on Uber's case, you could really say is the price that they were ever charging and, and a lot of these uh, technology companies, if you want to call Uber a technology company, I sort of dispute that as well. It's all about market share. It's the scorched earth, spend money to get market share and then hopefully see off all your other competitors. And then you can slowly raise prices. I think that model is really running out of steam now. Um, but what it has done is got consumers addicted to low prices. So yeah. as you were saying about low prices for Ubers, uh, that was that ever the correct price? Is that really the cost of actually offering that service plus a profit margin? 
Probably not. So what we're likely to see now is a, a re-evaluation of services uh, being charged out at the realistic costs of what they always were, instead of using investors' money to subsidise them. Interestingly, and some people can't understand this, these companies like Uber, some of them uh, make a loss, uh, but they're still they're still worth billions and billions, and in some cases, multi billions, hundreds of billions. And, and this is the great contradiction of our time, you know. And this is what I'm coming back to about looking for returns in a zero percent world. I mean, there's been a lot of FOMO, if we want to call it that, over 2020, and uh, you know, certainly. Some of these overvalued technology companies are squarely in that space. I don't think the real the valuations of them have been realistic for a very long time, and I think some of them now will struggle to actually make consistent profits, particularly if what the UK has done rolls into other key markets in the world. And I can see it happening in Europe, and there are still noises in parts of the US. Um, so you know, there are challenges ahead for these companies. Yeah, and as I was saying, a trip from London's West End home in the early noughties is about the same price on an Uber at the moment. I, I find that quite amazing. If you don't mind, I'd like to stay in the UK for a couple of minutes, uh, Jeff. And uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, launched his new uh, inverted commas global Britain foreign policy with a promise that the UK would be what he called a beacon of democratic sovereignty and one of the most influential countries in the world. But he's been criticised, indeed, by his own party of MPs for insisting that Britain would seek uh, deeper trade links and more Chinese investment. And in response, he said that those who wanted a new Cold War with China were mistaken. Now, in this post-Brexit scenario, I suppose beggars can't be choosers and he's going to have to do a lot more trade with China. Well, it, this is interesting. Uh, I've just had a coffee delivered, much like in an Uber-like manner, shall we say. If that coffee had been in my hand when I read that story, I would have dropped the coffee. Uh, <laughs> because I can't see how you can have deeper relations with China at the moment and still have the ongoing conflicts that you are with China, particularly with the UK, Hong Kong, etc., etc. So maybe his uh, point of view is that he's taking a long-term view. But you know, China's pushing back against everyone, it seems, at the moment. It's either our way or the highway with China. And, you know, you can see this with its relations with Australia, for example. If it doesn't get its own way, then a tantrum ensues. And then they quite openly penalise countries that try to export to them. So I'm not quite sure how this deeper relations with China is really going to work, because I don't know if China's really bought into that themselves, to be honest. Uh, maybe he should be looking for countries uh, or parts of the world that aren't China to try and uh, uh, roll out this global blueprint because I'm not quite sure that China is uh, going to give them much joy there. But I uh, always respect the man's optimism. <laughs> yes, uh, he, he doesn't want to be a doomster or a gloomster. And uh, he's certainly, I mean, looking at the opinion polls at the moment, he's certainly doing pretty well considering it's been a torrid uh, last 12 months. Uh, before I let you go, Jeff, what should we look out for the rest of the week? Of course, all eyes on tonight's uh, Federal Reserve announcement. But uh, what happens Thursday and Friday? There's quite a few uh, central banks announcing this week, actually, quite a few emerging market central banks, Indonesia being one on Friday. Um, it's maybe not as interesting for your listeners, but certainly out in Asia, it's a key central bank. Bank of England is uh, due to announce tomorrow as well. I expect them uh, to leave rates unchanged with no change in their quantitative easings program 
either. Although bond bond uh, sorry gilt yields have risen as well on the long end of the yield curve, I expect that uh, the only surprise that would really come out of that one would be as if the Bank of England said they weren't comfortable with the rise in gilt yields and said that they would uh, increase QE or twist it around in order to cap those. That would probably be a negative for the British pound. Uh, but yes, it's definitely, uh, we, we've got also the Bank of Japan on, on Friday and they'll be going through a very similar process. But I have a feeling a lot of these central banks are watching the FOMC in order to form their next move. So, uh, I mean, the US is the deepest, most liquid capital market in the world. And where they go, the rest of us, whether we like it or not, do tend to follow in shape, form or manner. I mean, data wise, it's pretty quiet. All eyes will be on these central bank decisions. Okay, Jeff, have a very good day and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks very much. Take care. This is the Oanda Podcast.